Welcome to another episode of the Time for Teachership podcast. Today we have Dr. Judy Krauss with us, who serves as an Associate Dean and Program Director for the Doctor of Education and ECE program in the School of Human Development and Education at Pacific Oaks College. She has been working with young children and their families since 1978 and began her work with college students in 1989. Dr. Krauss's research focuses on developmentally and culturally appropriate pedagogy, and she enjoys presenting hands-on interactive workshops at the national, state, and local level. In her spare time, she takes joy in traveling along the coast with her husband, as well as spending time with her grandchildren. Let's hear from Dr. Judy Krauss. I'm educational justice coach, Lindsay Lyons, and here on the Time for Teachership podcast, we learn how to inspire educational innovation for racial and gender justice, design curricula grounded in student voice, and build capacity for shared leadership. I'm a former teacher leader turned instructional coach. I'm striving to live a life full of learning, running, baking, traveling, and parenting because we can be rockstar educators and be full human beings. If you're a principal, assistant superintendent, curriculum director, instructional coach, or teacher who enjoys nerding out about co-creating curriculum with students, I made this show for you. Here we go. Judy, welcome to the Time for a Teachership podcast. Oh, thank you, Lindsay. I'm so excited to be here today. I am so excited to get into our conversation. You've been doing some amazing things. And just as kind of an orientation to the conversation for everyone, is there something that listeners should know either about you, your context, or just keep anything in mind as they listen today? Um, I think that you mentioned it in my introduction, you know, that I've been doing this for so long, but here at Pacific Oaks, and I know we'll get more into it when we get in our conversation, this is really where anti-bias education was born, and we'll talk more about it. So that, that I just, my little um, preview <laughs> that I wanted to say. Excellent. Oh, that's very exciting. That's a really good preview. <laughs> so one of the first questions I always ask is, in line with the idea of freedom dreaming, which I love how Dr. Bettina Love talks about it as dreams grounded in the critique of injustice. What is that big dream that you hold for curriculum and instruction? You know, it, it's totally connected to who we are here at Pacific Oaks. So 80 years ago, we've been around for 80 years, there was this group of Quaker families. It was right after the war. And they wanted to, pre at first we started with our children's school, which makes us unique that the, the lab school became first before the college. The college was born from the lab school. But when they opened the children's school in 1945, they had this dream. They had these values, this legacy that we still carry on today for social justice, inclusivity, diversity, and respect. And that's, a, I feel like that's my legacy to carry on. Those PO, I call them the PO giants, all of the Pacific Oaks people that came before me, I'm carrying on that legacy of those values. And everything that we do here at Pacific Oaks and everything that I've done in my career since I started in 1978 has been grounded in those values. So that's why it's such a great fit for me here. And that's my dream. My dream is to carry on that legacy of those PO giants. That is so cool. What an interesting foundation and what an amazing grounding of values to have at the core. And, and the fact that college came from the lab school is very cool. Like, wow, so many things. <laughs> so as we're thinking about kind of 
I think a lot of people are listener that are listening are people who lead curriculum change or who lead, you know, departments and, and they're thinking about how do I get to that dream for my own school? And so one of the things that I like to think through are kind of the different pillars that make up curriculum and instruction. So I often talk about things like mindset, like pedagogy, like the different assessments we might use or, or specifically what content are we teaching? And so I'm just always curious to learn, you know, how, how are people putting that into action? Does one pillar feel more essential or central? Do they go in a particular order? Like, how did that happen for you? So for me, it started when I started working with young children. So when I started working with young children, it was the late seventies and everything was biased. The children's books were biased. The curriculum that was available for teachers was biased. The environment around us, what was shown on TV, what was in magazines, everything was biased. And so what was happening is myself and other classroom teachers, we were working in little silos and we were creating things that were anti-biased in our own classrooms not knowing that there was work going on around us. So in 1989, when I started working with adults, I was at a community college. And at that time, there weren't any classes that are very common now, you know, and how to teach diversity with young children. So our faculty was getting together and a book had just been published. It was 1989, Louise Dumas Sparks was here at Pacific Oaks and she had been doing work with her anti-bias task force and she had published this book. And it just like opened up the world for anti-biased education. It's like we, everyone was like, oh my goodness, are you seeing what they're doing at Pacific Oaks? We're not alone. We're not the only ones doing this. And of course, while Dr. Um, Derman Sparks has retired from her faculty position here at Pacific Oaks, she still is actively working on our anti-bias work. And so I said a lot to say that there are four um, goals of anti-biased education. And we use them as early as at the children's school, as early as our two-year-old yard. We start with the very, very young children. And those four goals, and anybody can implement them in any classroom or grade that you're teaching. The first one is identity. And it's really getting to know who am I as a person. The next one is diversity. Getting to know what other people are around me, who people are, what what they're like, what our differences are, what our similarities are. The third one is recognizing what's right and fair. And the fourth one is advocating for what's right and fair. So when I was talking to Louise Derman Sparks, it was last year about this time we were talking and she said a lot of teachers and a lot of schools get the first two. The identity and diversity is easy. But what's hard for people is to instill in children and even in young adults, if you were to do this in high school, on how we recognize what's right and fair and how to advocate for that. But when you start with children from the very, very young age, at the children's school, we'll see three and four-year-olds standing up for what's right because they already get it. So I know that was a long answer to your question. I love that answer. I am so excited about this. And I agree wholeheartedly that especially number four for me resonates that advocating piece. 
mm-hmm. because I think about so much of the work that I do is, is coaching curriculum development around justice and advocacy and civic engagement. And often the biggest pushback I hear is, well, not all students are civic minded or not all students want to advocate for justice or not, you know, you're confining students to like make them do this thing. And it's like, that's what we should be doing as people, right? Like that's, that's a right. pillar that we should stand on. And it starts from something that doesn't have to be civic engagement. Mm. If a child is seeing another child being bullied, being mm-hmm. able to stand up for that child that's being bullied, it could be something as simple as that. It's we're not saying, hey, everybody needs to go out and take a stand for a social justice issue. There are social justice issues happening in the classroom all day long. And so it's giving children from a very young age that big, we call it, you have your big voice, using your big voice to stand up for what's right. And then what happens is that carries over to them into adulthood. I have spoken with so many, because we've been around for 80 years. So I've spoken to so many alum, alum from the children's school, alum from the college who have taken this foundation with them in everything that they do. It's really exciting to talk to. I talked to, he's 42 years old. He's an attorney and he's talking about when he was at children's school and when he was four years old. So he's remembering almost 40 years ago how that was instilled in him. So it's more than just saying, hey, we want you to go take a stand for all of these injustices in the world. It starts with you and what's around you in your immediate community. That's beautiful. And I think that kind of speaks to my next question, which is that like, if there are people listening who are thinking, I would like that at my school or my district, like I I want to create that kind of space, but I'm feeling stuck on something or I'm getting resistance from my teachers or my community, or I'm fearful of, you know, X, whatever. What are those mindset shifts that, that you think were maybe those beliefs that were present at the formation, right? 80 years ago or throughout Pacific Oaks history that might be helpful as a mindset shift from someone who's experiencing that challenge currently. Does that question make sense? Yeah. And you know, whenever you're going to do change, it has to come from within. So if you have a teacher who really doesn't believe in inclusivity and diversity and respect or social justice, if that's something that they don't really believe in and that doesn't resound in them, you're not going to get a mindset change because it really has to come from within. But because this isn't like a separate part of a curriculum or a curriculum topic like math or science. It's something that's integrated in every single thing that you do every single day. So what that comes from is someone who's desiring change and they're not really sure, okay, how do I do this? Where do I start? They've already, they already know, they see this happening in their classroom, they see this happening in their school, they see these injustices in their community, and they want to instill this in their children. So how do they start that? And that's where it comes, you know, just some education, reading some articles. Pacific Oaks started, we started during COVID, this started during COVID. It was the summer of 2020, we were in the midst of COVID. And the George Floyd incident happened and the whole country was in unrest. 
So all kinds of colleges all over were scrambling together, trying to come up with social justice statements. Well, here at Pacific Oaks, that we, that's what we've always done. So we put together our very first anti-bias symposium and we did it online. It was virtual. We thought we'd get 100 people. We got 4,000 people for our first anti-bias symposium. My, bracket, my breakout session for ECE had 2,000 that first time. So we decided, you know what, we're going to do an anti-bias symposium every quarter. So every three months, we do an anti-bias symposium. It's free. Anybody can come. Our second one was a kidposium. It was a panel of 10 and 11-year-olds talking about injustice and what it's like and what you can do. So that's free. We'll I'll, um, give you the link so we can provide it to people. And you can go and you can watch any of the symposiums from that summer of 2020. And then our last one was last month or, or so a few months back. So it's always there. So that's your starting point. Your starting point is getting to know what can I do? How can I start this work in my classroom? Regardless of what age you teach, how can I start this work? And those anti-bias symposiums are a great place to start, especially that first one, because we have breakout sessions for different age groups. And, and the second one, the kidposium, we also have a grandparents panel. So, and then we have special guest speakers, not everybody's from PO. So anybody that does work in social justice, is invited to come and speak our, at our symposiums. So those, that's a really great way to start getting educated about the work and really seeing these vignettes and, and real life stories of what teachers have done in their classrooms and how that change has come about. But again, it has to come from their gut. It has to be a teacher or an individual who's interested in this work. If, it, if they're not, the mindset isn't going to come unless something happens in their classroom or in their community. And then they decide, oh, I want to stand for this. That's such a great point because I think a lot of people are kind of waiting for that moment of, oh, well, you know, for example, the Black Student Union just spoke up and said, like, they don't see themselves in the curriculum. Like, we need to listen. And so it's a response to, which is great that there is a response, but I'm hoping that we can do a lot of preventative, like we don't need to get to right. that place, right? And right. so I'm I'm curious to know, I loved what you said about the curriculum being really, it, it, it is integrated. Social justice is integrated into all of the curriculum. Everything. everything. Yeah, everything that we do. And I love that so much. I'm wondering if you can give us a few examples of how like someone maybe not used to the PO model would, would kind of see this as a place that it would be separate, but it's actually integrated just to give kind of a sense of like, what does that look like? And mm -hmm. how does that kind of come to life? Hi, it's Lindsay just telling you about the episode freebie. Dr. Krauss is sharing with us the Pacific Oaks anti-bias education symposium videos. So to get your hands on that, go to lindsaybethlines.com slash blog slash one four one back to the episode so it'd be integrated just like say i'm going to start in a maybe a three-year-old classroom so that's how because that's how young we start this so the children are three and they're in the sandbox and a child comes and takes away a toy that another child has and then another three-year-old comes over and says, 
that's not fair. Jose was playing with that toy. Here, let me get it back for you and helps him to get it back. So that's, and there'd be a teacher, of course, standing to the side, observing the interaction. But these kids are three and this happens every day. They see something that's not fair. They see, um, and that would be a normal three-year-old thing that would happen. Say um, in the four-year-old room, maybe somebody is making fun of another child. Oftentimes, four-year-old girls can be very, very brutal. And if a child does something that they don't like, you can't come to my birthday party is what they'll say in a very, very, you know, <laughs> very mean way. And the other child will just break down and will be crying. And instead of a teacher intervening, in, you know, intervening, it's more often than not another child in the class who intervenes. So this is just stuff happening every day in the classroom. Um, they could be talking about something maybe that they saw in the news. Kids see a lot and hear a lot that we don't realize that they're hearing. And then they might be having a discussion. Maybe a child talks to a teacher about something they heard on the news or talks to another child about something. This happened a lot. Actually, we were closed when um, for COVID when all of the protests happened. And so Louise Derman Sparks came and she did a family town hall meeting with our families so that, that give the parents the tools and the words to use and the books to read to help the children to understand what's going on in the world around them. So that's what would happen in the classroom. The same thing would happen. Either other children would help or teachers would help you know, even families would come in, you know, just to help children to wrap their heads around, okay, this is what's happening in the world. And this is what I can do to make it better. And when children have that empowerment, that fear of what's going on goes away. Or if they're being bullied that, you know, I'm not the victim anymore. That's the thing is that we're teaching children from a very young age not to be the victim, how to stand up. And so when you're doing that, and when it's just, when everything is just included in your environment, say, for example, um, um, we have families that are maybe two moms. We have a family that's two dads. The family that we have two dads is also a biracial family. We have um, lots of children of many different ethnicities. So that comes with the beginning parts of the anti-bias goals, the diversity part, just getting to know who people are and how people are different and how people are the same and to accept the differences and the similarities in others. Oftentimes teachers are, and parents too, are afraid to point out those things they think that, okay, we'll just, they call that the colorblind approach. We'll just pretend that we don't see it. The kids see it, so you need to address it, and you need to let them know, oh, yeah, uh, um, I almost said the child's real name, um, Susie does have two dads, yeah, that's okay, you know, the twins do have two moms, and that's how, what their family looks like, so just, just, it's part of your everyday, so you're not having a special assignment where you're talking about, okay, some families have two dads, it's like, okay, that's what we have in our, in our classroom. Susie has two dads. That's the way it is. That's her family. And that's 
her family's that way and you live with your grandma and you live with your mom and your dad and you live with your mom and that's just part of what we do every day it's not turning it into like a unit on families it's it's something that you do all the time I love that there is a blend of kind of the pedagogy or the interaction with students and just kind of a very natural way, like what comes up with students and, and you kind of like see, I imagine students modeling for other students, right? And and helping them kind of see, it's not always teacher directed, like here's how you act in this situation. <laughs> but that I also hear um, that you had Dr. German Sparks, is that right? Come, come in and, and give um, some advice around current events and how do you, mm-hmm teach with it? And how do you help students through a conversation around that, not just for teachers, but for families as well. And so I think it's interesting. There's kind of this blend of like, there is a curriculum aspect to it. And then there is also the just interpersonal, just how we act with students and with each other and community aspect right. to it. Is, is that right? That is right. Yes. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm wondering for the things that we can plan for, whether it's a planned interaction for um, something where a student doesn't step up and, and step into that conversation. And, um, you know, we want to debrief for that conversation, for example, as a class, or whether we're um, planning for, for some sort of like unit on something. Is there anything that is kind of how you all operate as educators and, and as kind of like a, either teams or one collective team that is an approach that would be helpful for other schools or districts in terms of planning for some of those conversations. So we're really fortunate that we have here, we have um, Betty Jones was, she recently passed away. She a long, long time PO icon, and she's famous for her work on emergent curriculum. And when she was at the children's school years ago in the 90s, she had started a curriculum depth study group. And so with her permission, we rebooted that study group. And once a month, all of the teachers get together and they have a time to debrief and talk about, okay, this is what's going on in my classroom. So it may be something that's based on children's interests, something emergent curriculum. It may be something um, going on with anti-bias stuff. It may be anything that's happening in their classroom. All of the teachers get together once a month and they sit down together and they just talk it out and provide that support for each other. So in addition to that monthly curriculum depth study group where we can go really deep and talk about what's happening in our classrooms and what we can do and support each other, there's weekly team meetings. So every week the teaching teams get together and talk about this is what's going on in our classroom. What can we do to best meet the needs of these children? Maybe it might be changing some books in the library. Maybe it might be adding some different provocations in a yard for children to interact with that's going to help them. Maybe it might be having a parent come in and you know volunteer. So they have the weekly team meetings on Friday and then they have the monthly curriculum depth study group. Now, not everybody has the opportunity to have these type of experiences, but because we feel this is so important to who we are at Pacific Oaks, we plan for them and we make sure that they happen 
and that everybody gets that support. But that does that's not to say that, you know, the director's door is always open. They can go in and talk anytime, or they can go and talk to another teacher in another yard who's maybe experienced this. So even though there's the Friday planning and then the team meetings and planning and the, the big meeting every um, month with the whole group on the curriculum depth, still they interact with each other throughout the week, sometimes with throughout the day. You see a teacher all walk, walk into a, a classroom and there's a teacher from another one in there and they're just sitting there having this conversation, you know, because something's going on and they want to know, okay, how can I best meet this need in my classroom? And then, you know, we have lots of supports available to teachers. Um, we really like, I believe the website is called Social Justice Books. And you can go to that website and you can pick any topic. There's children's books, there's books for adults, there's books for parents, and you can find books. So if something's happening in your classroom, you can go in there and you can see, okay, oh, good, this book would be great for me to add to my classroom library or to read to the children on Monday morning. So that's a really good resource as well. That's a great idea. And I imagine for a very like homogeneous group or something, right? Because you're saying just naturally it's best, right? To have the diversity in the classroom of all the various identities that you might want to just have present and foster relationships with organically. But if you need to bring it in, I think that's a lovely idea to mm -hmm. go there, find a book where again, it doesn't have to be a unit, but it sounds like it could just be like, yeah, and these are the characters, right? This character is mm -hmm. gay, this character is, whatever, you know, whatever. So yeah, I love that as a resource. Thank you for sharing that. Oh, you're welcome. And I love the idea of planning, like having those monthly, monthly and then weekly planning team structures. So you're saying we have these ongoing opportunities for collaboration and not necessarily top down like directives of what to do, but let's figure this out for ourselves. Mm -hmm. Let's trust in the teachers. I, I just love that. And the fact that you preserve that time, I think a lot of times, you know, in the things that happen in schools, we can kind of say, oh, we need that time back for this other administrative thing. Right. But, but to say, no, this is actually really important time. We're not going to take you out of it is I think another thing that it, it might have just kind of like people listening while they're driving or something and didn't hear that it's that important um, should just kind of like come back to, to the moment and just hear that that is preserved time. And that is so specifically important. for that. So like yeah. we have a monthly faculty meeting that's separate. The monthly faculty meetings where you talk about all the logistical kind of stuff, but the curriculum depth study group meeting is where we go deep in what's going on in the classrooms. Beautiful. And then I'm wondering, is there any sort of like challenge that has come up around your work that you've seen that you think other people would benefit from hearing about in terms of how you worked through that challenge or any sort of supports you put in place as a result of, of a challenge that came up? You know, people were very, very fortunate in that families choose Pacific Oaks at the children's school. They choose us because of who we are and what we stand for. And at the college, we're chosen before who we are and what we stand for. Even with that being said, you'll have a family who will be um, upset that their child is learning about, like, so there's another child in their class who's got the two, I'll use Susie as the example again, who's got the two dads. So even though the families have chosen Pacific Oaks because of who we are, they're having a difficult time because now their three-year-old is accepting that it's okay for there to be another three-year-old in their class who has two dads. 
So then when that, things like that come along, that's when we have conversations. And then we also have a monthly town hall meeting for the families. And the first half hour of that town hall, this is logistical stuff for families like, you know, we're going to be closed on this day, you know, registration is going to be here. But there's a half an hour each month dedicated to education for the families. So in addition to the monthly town hall, we have a parent ed series. So we have book clubs where we have parents read books on these subjects, and then we have master teachers lead discussions. We also have trainings or um, seminars, things like that. Um, sometimes it's once a month, sometimes it's every other month, sometimes some things are once a week, depending on what's going on. We'll provide that parent education for our families. So we have that family education and that helps. Um, sometimes you, it might be a point where the family, it just, our philosophies just don't align. And even after, you know, educating them, talking to them, having these conversations, it comes down to the point where this is our philosophy. This is your philosophy. It may not be a good fit. It's not that we kick them out. It's not like that, but there's sometimes that, Families just don't come to an agreement on what our philosophy is. And that's who we are. It's what we're all about. It's everything that we've always done and what we stand for. And if somebody's philosophy doesn't align, it's really unfortunate, but it's just not the place for them. I love that you are able to stand firm in that. Like, this is who we are, right? And we're not moving away from that to accommodate any sort of like oppression or injustice or yeah, I, I think that's amazing. And I love the monthly town hall for families. Wow. That's cool. And the fact that they can have discussions like led mm -hmm. by teachers. So cool. <laughs> yeah. I I'm curious to know, like, so a person imagining a person listening who is thinking, okay, so maybe I teach or, or I lead really in a uh, school that maybe it's a public school and um, I have, maybe it's a hom homogeneous grouping of students. Like it might not be an exact mapping onto, you know, your context, but I'm wondering what would be a good kind of first step for them or, or a kind of momentum builder into some of this work? Because I think often we say, oh, that's not exactly my context, so I can't do it, but that's just simply not true, right? And right. so I'm wondering if you could kind of coach people through what does that first step look like? So I, I am very much aware that being in a private school that is founded on these values, that's carried on these values, that we're in a unique position, that we're able to do this and stand up for what we believe in. And I know because I have taught in public school that it's not the same. I get that. So what you need to do is take baby steps. Really start small, do it in little bitty chunks. So start with that first, those first two goals, identity and diversity, working with the students in your class, helping them to really understand who they are and what diversity is around them. And then really going into the other two, what's fair and what's right, and then standing up for what's fair and what's right. 
even when I taught at a public college, I was at a community college for 20 years, a public institution. I still instilled that within my students, my college level students. In one class, we even had an advocacy project. It was an administration and leadership class. And so they needed to find something to advocate for and do it during that time frame. And that was at a public school. So it's really taking in those baby steps and just doing a little bit at, at a time, the change that you can make in your classroom whatever you can do. It's harder. I'm not going to lie. It's harder to do that when you have those constraints of a public school. But because it's not a um, like a whole curriculum area like math or science or history, and it's something that you integrate throughout your day, you can still do it. It's just going to be a little bit trickier for you. So those resources that I mentioned earlier on, the, um, the um, my mind just makes symposiums, the anti-bias symposiums that we've done, articles on anti-biased education, the social justice books, those are really good starting points for taking those little baby steps at first. You don't want to take the big chunk on at one time. It took me a lot of years. It took me over 40 years to get where I'm at now. That is a really helpful information. And we're going to link to all of those resources in the blog post as well. So if you're driving, don't worry, <laughs> we got it for you. Um, but I'm I'm curious to know this is just a purely fun question, Judy. So anything you have been learning about lately that could relate to the topic we've been talking about today, or it could be something totally different and off topic. Well, there's two things I'm really that, that I've recently read. I just read the book, The Invisible Classroom, and it actually kind of relates to this topic. It's all about the environment that you're creating that you don't even realize that you're creating because you can't see it, but you feel it. And I'll have to give you the link. I know the book is the, I was going to walk to my bookshelf, but it's across my office. So I'm reading that book, The Invisible Classroom. And then I really like, and it, it's not a new book, but I love the book by Lisa Murphy. It's called Play the foundation that supports the house of higher learning. And because I'm a social constructivist, it's kind of off topic, but it kind of relates. And I believe that people learn through hands-on experiences. It's a really great, easy read that kind of connects with this topic, but not really. But The Invisible Classroom is amazing. I just love that book. Oh, that's so cool. I always love adding to my reading list. So thank you for indulging me. <laughs> And so as a final question, I would just love for listeners to know how they can connect with you or to follow the work of Pacific Oaks. So where should they go online or otherwise to, to see what you're doing? Yeah, they can just go to the Pacific Oaks website. That's pacificoaks.edu, or they can Google Pacific Oaks College or Pacific Oaks Children's School, and it will lead you to everything that's going on. Um, the they could Google, we're going to provide you the link, but you could Google Pacific Oaks College Anti-Bias Symposiums, and all of our symposiums are there. And anything that's upcoming will be there on our webpage. Perfect. Judy, thank you so much for spending time with us today. Oh, you're so welcome, Lindsay. It was so nice to talk to you. Bye.
If you like this episode, I bet you'll be just as jazzed as I am about my coaching program for increasing student-led discussions in your school. Shane Safir and Jamila Dugan talk about a pedagogy of student voice in their book, Street Data. They say students should be talking for 75% of class time. Do students in your school talk for 75% of each class period? I would love for you to walk into any classroom in your community and see this in action. If you're smiling at yourself as you listen right now, grab 20 minutes on my calendar to brainstorm how I can help you make this big dream a reality. I'll help you build a comprehensive plan from full day trainings and discussion protocols like Circle and Socratic Seminar to follow up classroom visits where I can plan, witness, and debrief discussion-based lessons with your teachers. Sign up for a nerdy, no strings attached brainstorm call at lindsaybethlyons.com slash contact. Until next time, leaders, think big, act brave, and be your best self. This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. Explore more podcasts at teachbetter.com slash podcasts, and we'll see you at the next episode.